You are listening to the WGXC Acre 90.7 on your FM dial. And your and WGXC.org on your smartphone or computer. WGXC is made possible in part by the generous ongoing support of Henning's Local Test Kitchen in Round Top, New York. WGXC's sustaining supporters are among the station's most dedicated listeners. They care deeply about Creative Community Radio, and their investment helps to sustain WGXC as a public platform for information, experimentation, and engagement in Green and Columbia counties. You, too, can become a sustaining supporter by going to wgxc.org slash donate. Thank you for your support. What else do DJs get? We're just voices in the air, but we're what makes radio live. And what do we get for it? Seems like every year you pack everything up, move to another town. It gets harder and harder to find a station that'll let you program music you want to play. Well, you're 40 and there's some kid half your age who will take your job and do it for half the money. And, and then you find yourself making silly demands. Free coffee. But that's my little moment of honesty, so we can get back to the nonsense. Welcome to Dim the Lights with Jenny and Amanda, a twice-monthly show where Jenny and Amanda talk about movies. Each episode, we pick a theme ahead of time, and then separately, we watch movies, and then when we air, we talk about what we watched, and it's always an exciting ride. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Amanda. I'm so glad to be here with you. I am so glad to be here, too. Tonight, we are pre-recording this show, so this is a message from the past, (laughs) a little bit of time travel, so... In this part of the show where we tell you about what's playing at the movie theaters in the area, uh, there are some that we cannot tell you what's playing because it's so far in the future. We just don't have that information. We're not privy to it. So I'm going to start out by just telling you about a theater that exists and that when this show is airing, I encourage you to check out what might be playing at the Wyndham Theater in Wyndham, New York. Uh, You can find the showtimes at WyndhamTheater.com. That's W-I-N-D-H-A-M theater.com. It's my turn to tell you about a movie theater that merely exists, and I cannot tell you what will be playing there. You just need to find out for yourself. However, it's two great theaters under the same name. Why? It's Upstate Films. (laughs) We have one in Socrates and one in Rhinebeck, and aren't we just so lucky to have them both? (laughs) You can find out information about showtimes at upstatefilms.org. Amazing. I'm going to tell you about another theater that exists and will probably be playing wonderful things. That is the Highway Drive-In in Cooksacky, New York. That's spelled H-I-W-A-Y. They have four screens. Each screen has a double feature and they are still open. I think they'll stay open pretty late into October. Um, And you can find out more about what's playing at the Highway Drive-In the weekend of (laughs) the week of this show at highwaydrivein.com, that's H-I-W-A-Y drivein.com slash schedule. And now I have a theater that has showtimes for you. Don't worry, it's time. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about what's playing at the Crandall Theater, which is the theater in Chatham. They have, as of Thursday, September 29th, and that following weekend, uh, Loving Highsmith, the, referring to Patricia Highsmith, the novel who the novelist who I also love, uh, a movie called *The Railway Children Return* <laughs> <laughs> and Three Thousand Years of Longing*, uh, and I'm sure that there will be many other showtimes involved as well that you can find out more information about by going to CrandallTheater.org. Amazing. Um, I also want to talk about how. The Woodstock Film Festival is coming up. That is running from September 28th to October 2nd. And there is a lot going on. It's a great film festival. Highly recommend it. They'll be screening at various theaters. Um, But you can find out more about tickets and the lineup at woodstockfilmfestival.org. 
so fun. It is like it is pretty exciting that we have a local film festival that's so accessible to us. Yeah, and a good one. And a good one. It's not just any old film festival. It's like a great one. Yeah. Uh, so last on my list is uh, Spotlight Cinemas, which is the movieplex on Fairview in Hudson. Uh, and these are the showtimes for uh, w- when you were are listening to this tonight, <laughs> Tuesday, September 27th. Uh, and they have also The Railway Children Return, Barbarian, See How They Run, Pearl, The Woman King, Don't Worry Darling, Beast, Bullet Train, and guess what? Minions. The Rise of Gru. No way. It's still there. It's, still there. it's crazy. But so you can find those showtimes and future showtimes at SpotlightCinemas.com. Amazing. I almost forgot, how could I, about our very other special theater, TSL in Hudson. <laughs> um, so they always have a ton of movies playing and a very busy schedule. For the week of this show, it looks like the titles and times are TBD on their calendar, but it looks like Pearl will be coming, as well as a movie called exposing Moybridge. Um, but you can find out more about what's playing and their times and all of that at timeandspace.org. Wow. So many movies and so little time. There are a lot of movies out right now that I would like to see, but I have not done that yet. I know. My, I our time will come. Not seen a new movie in a lick of time. No. It's a very, it's a very busy time, as you can perhaps infer from us recording a bit earlier than ordinary. A whole week and some change earlier. Yeah. Um, or actually just exactly one week. It's exactly one week. <laughs> it's like we're there with you, but it's a week ago. Exactly. It's real-life real time travel. <laughs> so um, our theme tonight is something that's very exciting and something that I know that I did not do a proper justice to because it's something I'm really interested in, but it is hard to find time. And... I'm not so good at doing my research. There's a lot of reading to do about tonight's theme, which is Australian cinema, Ausploitation, Australian New Wave cinema. Uh, huge category. Lots to de- dive into. So much. Yeah, this is another... I mean, we say this pretty much every time, but it, this is another one that's definitely going to have a sequel because, I mean, yeah. it is an entire country, which we are attempting to yeah. very gently yeah. poke a little finger yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. Entire country with an entire uh, film history of its yeah. own, like every single country. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Pretty thrilling. Um, it's so thrilling. There is actually... I didn't have time to watch it, but there's a documentary about Ozploitation called Not Quite Hollywood. Mm. That would have been really helpful to watch. <laughs> next time, next time. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, um, and I wish I had something prepared to read about a little bit about what <laughs> Ozploitation is. Let me pull Let me pull that up. Pull a little something up. Um, yeah. I mean, longtime listeners will know that we are very casual watchers. We are here to talk about what we've seen and how we felt mm-hmm. uh, and give you... As little background as we are capable of giving. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I guess a really good example for someone who's never heard the term Ausploitation would be like all the Mad Max trilogy, mm-hmm. or I guess the fourth one counts too. But really, the the original trilogy are the most successful Ausploitation movies in that they had great success overseas. Um, so like a lot of blank exploitation movies, <laughs> they're usually action, horror, sci-fi Something like that. Mm-hmm. Have, an, have a over-the-top fantastical it's, element yeah, to them. Yeah, a strong genre presence. Yep. Um, specifically, Wikipedia says, Ausploitation films are exploitation films made in Australia. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> After the introduction of the R rating in 1971. Oh, interesting. Um, and it also marked the beginnings of the Australian New Wave movement, uh, which is... Um, a resurgence in worldwide popularity of Australian cinema, particularly in the United States, also yes. says Wikipedia. <laughs> so there's a lot of fun movies in here. A lot of I I'm dipping just a couple toes into into Australian cinema, and um, a lot of them have recurring themes that I find really appealing, like mm-hmm. cars. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, mysterious landscapes yeah totally and also the um just the harsh unforgiving landscape it's exactly. a very i mean this is something that you hear about australia in general anyway which is that like the most like the 
largest part of the population all lives in a pretty small area, yep. but there's so much land and so much of it is pretty forbidding because mm-hmm. it is primarily uninhabited or only inhabited by indigenous people. Yeah. And it has, I mean, it has such a dark history of colonization, like yeah. so many other places yeah. that there are all of these things playing with each other in movies yeah. coming from there. And it's just, it's a very fascinating landscape for cinema. Oh, the outback. <laughs> the outback. Oh, the outback. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, and to bring up the, the, horrible history of colonization in Australia, New Zealand there. I think a lot of those movies from an outsider's point of Mm -hmm. view, at least I'd be curious to read more about it, have that tension in them and that almost like a sense of guilt and like, um, yeah, there's there a lot of movies portray a fear and awe and this unknown land yeah. from like the white colonizers. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's fan- fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Um, will you tell me about a movie that you watched? I will. I'll tell you. I'll go chronologically. Yeah. Uh, as, as in what I watched first. So the first movie I watched was one that, as you know, has been on my list for a very long time and is maybe one of the more widely talked about or in recent years more widely talked about exploitation movies wake and fright yes oh my god from I 1971 watched it last night but at the very last second i didn't wake and fright is so good wow that's great news wake and fright <laughs> is so good so uh wake and fright is from 1971 directed by a man named ted kocheff who i did not do any reading about <laughs> Um, and it's based off of a novel of the same name from 1961. And it is the story of a young, handsome um, school teacher who's like kind of into himself. He's like a good looking guy. And I, he really prides himself on being kind of an intellectual. Mm. Um, but he is a school teacher in a very, very small town. And he doesn't like his lot in life because there's some kind of school system in Australia that he's based, he's basically stuck in a contract mm-hmm. um, until he can, uh, what, is, what do they describe it as? Um, he's in a financial bond that he signed with the government in return for receiving a tertiary education. Mm. So he's in this bond to be a school teacher. He's kind of stuck into it unless he can buy his way out of it. Um, and he's forced to teach school in a tiny town called Tabunda which is a remote town in the outback. And for his Christmas holiday, he's trying to get to Sydney. He's having all of these fantasies of being on a beautiful beach with a beautiful woman in Sydney. Um, and on his way out, he gets stuck in a town known, lo- known locally as the Yabba, but it's uh, Bundan Yabba is the name mm. of the town. Um, Another, a little slightly larger town, but another very outback town where people seem real friendly at first. And very quickly, everything gets very chaotic. He he meets some guys that first night, including like the local cop who's like, oh, like everyone here is a sweetheart. You're nice to everybody. They're nice to you. You know, like you're going to love the Yabba. Um, and he loses all of his money in Oof. this betting game that the locals play. Um, and then, yeah, kind of because he's, he has no money, he's relying on the generosity of the people in this community, which kind of comes with some strings. And it is really also a a story about, uh, extreme masculinity and, uh, yeah, it's her, it's horrific. (laughs) Um, and because he, again, starts out feeling very, um, above uh, like at a greater station than these other people Mm -hmm. because he's educated uh but um is really weak to kind of they're like egging on yeah uh you know the more that they buy him drinks the more he feels like he has to drink totally Uh, the more he feels like he has to go on a midnight kangaroo hunt um (laughs) and australians are all about these like messed up modified cars they have in their movies. Um, but it was, it, it's a really wonderful movie. It's beautiful. It's completely sickening. Yeah, totally. Uh, if you are uncomfortable with movies that have graphic violence, particularly 
to animals in them. Do not watch this movie. Uh, it has real animal death in it. Um, this the kangaroo scene. Yeah, that's the only thing I know about Weekend Fright. Really. It's the famous thing about yeah. it. This people like walked out of the theater yeah. and whatever. But um, it's so good. Yeah, I wow. highly recommend Weekend wow. Fright. Oh my gosh, I gotta watch it. Yeah, is it? Did you watch it streaming somewhere? I did. So it's streaming on Shutter, um, which is a mostly horror streaming service. But I'm pretty sure it's also on Amazon Prime for free. So I I really recommend it. I um I wish I did a deeper dive once again into <laughs> into a more about its its context, but um it's really it was a really fascinating one. Yes. Um I came so close to watching it last night. I was going to watch it I think on Amazon, but it had commercials and I mm-hmm. was very close to bedtime and was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. So I decided to watch something much softer instead. But um, it has a lot, from what I understand, some pretty similar themes to the first movie that I watched. Yes. Which is a movie that I know you really like. Uh, I watched Wolf Creek. Oh, yay. <laughs> Yeah. Which is one that I have been meaning to watch for a while but had just not gotten around to. Um, it is from 2005. It is also a horror movie, um, kind of on the edge of the torture porn genre, like not mm. quite in there, but like certainly it came out around the same time as like the first Saw movie and has mm. some of that like just very bloody, brutal energy. So like I can imagine um, for some people not what they want to see yeah. <laughs> from like just a straight up and down horror movie. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about it. Wolf Creek is, it feels like a really low budget indie movie to me because it's so self-contained and has like, it's got a very clear storyline with like very little special effects. Yeah. But it's about these three people, two of whom are British tourists who are visiting Australia um, and they meet up with this guy who um, they're going to go on a road trip with and he buys a car for super cheap. Um, and they like spend a couple days like partying, driving around, like hanging out on little beach towns and like getting drunk with other locals and like having a great time, uh, all in pursuit of going on a trip to a big long hike at this place called Wolf Creek. Uh, and they're just kind of having like a fun summer holiday basically before I think presumably like they're going back to school or something. Cause I think they're all like in their early twenties. So they, when they're about 90 miles or so outside of Wolf Creek, they stop at the last gas station before the, the absolute uh, wasteland of there's no civilization whatsoever. Uh, they pick up some gas. They um, chat with a couple of the locals inside who seem kind of nice, but are also a little bit like, yeah. you know, just a little bit like, what are you doing? Here, yeah, the everyone's a little agoraphobic yes, out there. <laughs> absolutely. And so they're like, well, this was a nice little trip and we are going to go off on our little hike. So they drive all the way out to Wolf Creek, which is this big crater out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and it's really beautiful. It's like from, you know, an ancient meteorite. Uh, they go on a nice long hike. They have a great time. There's like some cute like relationship dynamics where like two of them are kind of dating, but then the other two start like kissing and it's like refreshingly uncomplicated. They're just all having fun. Um, And when they are done with their hike, they go back to the car. Uh, But what do they find? But that the car doesn't start. Mm. And so they're like, well, we don't really have a lot of options because there's nobody around. Uh, Nobody has any cell phones. It's definitely before that. Uh, and so they're like, well, we'll just like wait it out in the car. We'll sleep in the car. Maybe tomorrow somebody will come by to go for a hike here. We'll deal with it then. They're still, they're like very young, very like whatever. We've been sleeping rough for days. Who yeah, cares? We got this. We got this. So they're just hanging out like a little bit like, oh man, like now we're stuck here, but not terribly dispirited uh, when night falls and some lights start to approach them. At first, they're a little bit nervous and they're like, ooh. Is it aliens? Like, they really, like, freak themselves out. They're like, oh, like, this is a scary place. Like, it's a little mystical, magical. Something yes. is going to come and eat us. But it's just a pickup truck. Mm. <laughs> uh, is and it? <laughs> Or is it? <laughs> and a man gets out who's, like, a very classic, like, Aussie outback, like, Bushman. Yeah. He's got a big hat, and he's got, like, a denim button-down shirt and jeans, and, like, a very thick outback accent. 
and he's like, oh, what's the trouble here? And they're like, oh, our car doesn't start. So he like does them a favor and looks under the hood. And I was like, oh, well, you actually need a new coil. Uh, and I could fix that for you tomorrow, but it's all the way back at my house. Like, I'm not going to come back here tonight. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, and basically kind of in like a little bit of a manipulative way convinces them that it's their idea to get towed back to his house. And they're like, oh, so that's what a nice man. He just wants to tow us back to his house and fix our car and we'll be off tomorrow. So he hitches him up and he's like, it's a little bit of a drive, but they're sitting in the in their car being towed along for hours. <laughs> and then they finally arrive at his compound, his like little homestead out truly in the middle of nowhere. Oh God, Australia. So scary. Uh, and they, you know... They, they're all hanging out. They're having a really good time. He's like, seems pretty like funny and like good hearted. Like the dude of the group is kind of like ragging on him for being an outback man. And he like seems to be taking it very well. Uh, he like pours them all a drink from his like rainwater barrel. And he's like nothing like fresh rainwater from out in the country. And they're like, you're right. Tastes great. Oh my God. <laughs> but then everybody falls asleep. And what should happen next? But we wake up with one of the characters tied up alone in a shed. Yep. And so thus <laughs> begins a nightmare <laughs> where she has to find a piece of glass to untie herself, like cut free from her bonds and sneak out of the window of the shed where it's nighttime again because a, a whole day has passed oh, and her friends are all gone and all she can hear is screaming coming from the garage. So she sneaks around and peeks in and sees this guy whose name I want to say is Mick. Let me double check that. It's been so long it's since been, I've yeah, seen totally. Wolf Creek. Um, yeah, Mick Taylor, played by John Jarrett, and he is actively torturing her other friend, who is tied up in the garage, covered in blood and yeah. screaming. Yeah. And so the rest of the movie is about basically these three friends. All it jumps perspective to each of them um <laughs> when something goes wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you start to see them attempt to escape from this horrible man who whose only motivation seemingly is to commit absolute torture and yeah. murder yeah and it, it has become very clear that he has been doing this for decades yeah uh, just like picking up tourists taking them home and murdering them in horrible ways uh, and it is like, it's one of those ones where it's like loosely based on a true story, yep. which I'm like, mm, okay, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, but like that yeah. happens in Australia all the time. It's people go <laughs> missing. It's, a, it's, it's the land. It's the <laughs> land, but it's really gross, but it's really fun. Like I found it to be so, I was surprised by how tense I felt during it. Like there's a couple scenes that are definitely like go, like push the envelope a little bit further than I necessarily want them to. Mm -hmm. Head on a stick scene, which if you've seen, you don't know. remember. Haven't seen. I'll it tell you years. later. Can't wait. To I'll tell you later. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, um, but it is such a. It's a movie that really harnesses the fear of this like vast landscape yeah. because every time one of them tries to escape, they're just running and running and running for miles and miles and miles, and there's nothing there. They like keep going. And there's just like, there's no one to help them. Yeah. There's like, there's, there's nothing to do. Nobody. Like you could walk for days and never find anybody. Yeah. Um, and it's just truly horrifying. Yeah. It's really scary. Like they just get so trapped in this situation where they have absolutely no recourse. Oh, um, but I found it to be very fun. It's so cut and dry. <laughs> it's that so one is cut so, and dry. It's so, so simple. It's very much a like this, these poor people are just <laughs> experiencing the worst night of their very lives oh man um but it is it's just like a really um excellent exercise in a like tense horror thriller yeah like, it's really fun it's i so really fun. liked it yeah um i this is not a movie that i intended on talking about during this show but there is a australian movie um with nicole kidman and uh what's his name um Joseph Fiennes and Hugo oh, yeah. Weaving called Strangerland from 2015 and like long story short it's like a couple and their their daughter goes missing and it's about the 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 husband and wife the parents just totally unraveling mm -hmm. because of this tragedy um 
And there's just a scene where Nicole Kidman like stops an, an Aboriginal woman in town, like in distress to basically talk about it. And this woman is like, it's the land. Yeah. And like, that's all yeah. she says. <laughs> and it's like, oh the my land God. is incredibly powerful. It's, it's the land. Yeah. Like, and you're I'll never st- going to see your daughter again. Yeah. The land the has land. taken her. Yeah. 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 And that's like, that feels like a real theme. And like for, I mean, all three of the movies that I watched really have that. Um, and like pretty much any movie from Australia that I've seen generally has at least a little taste of that where it's like, you cannot control this element. No. It is it's going to do what it wants. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yes. Ex- like, oh, it's God, extremely yeah. not in your control. Totally. And you'll never find out why it happened yep. or, or what happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely beyond you. Yeah. And it's, you will never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it haunts oh, people. Yeah. I want to really quick, because um, I found a really good quote yes. about from a review from 1972 about Wake and Fright. Yeah. That kind of wraps up a lot of the themes that mm. are in a lot of Australian movies. But... um. In 1972, in a review for the New York Times, Roger Greenspun praised Wake and Fright for its atmosphere of, quote, general foreboding that crystallizes often enough into particular terror, and that is not quite like anything else I can remember feeling at the movies. Certain science fiction films come closest to it, especially those in which some evil alien presence has taken over a community that to all outward appearances remains normal with only the slightest, most fugitive hint that something somehow is hideously wrong. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it is like, it's such a, um, uh, such such a great use of the sublime, where it's like, it is so massively outside of your ability to understand yes. that it scares yeah. you. Yeah, and, and these small communities of people in this terrifying mm-hmm. land or yeah they're haunted people yeah, totally <laughs> oh, God. and they're like the, the relationships are just like boiling over and like because like all these really strange yeah connections totally. yeah like in wake and fright he you know he falls in with this this group of dudes because he meets another guy at one of the bars and the guy's like you can stay with me it's okay like i know you have no money mm-hmm. you lost all your money but like you know, you can come hunting with us and we'll give you some money. And this guy lives with his daughter who is kind of the only young woman you see of like a, 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 an recognizable or like, or like, like an only, the only sexually active woman you really see. (laughs) And, uh, like, like there's like this disgusting doctor who lives in a shack and like, he talks about how they like have sex all the time and like, Like, he is the one who, like, keeps kangaroo testicles in the freezer to eat later. And, like, it's... (laughs) (laughs) There's just a lot going on. Oh, and I forgot the biggest part of it, too, which is that there's no drinking water in it. Oh, my God. (gasps) And they kind of make a point for you to really notice that. Yeah, totally. Because they're like, you can't really drink the water here. So the whole time, like, like, after the first night he's like okay like drinks a little more or like wakes up and drinks another beer but then after like the second couple days he wants water so badly but there's just nothing but beer and when he try or like booze and beer and when he tries to be like oh no i'm good and then as soon as whoever character is offering it to him they're like oh come on he's like all right fine and like it's so so brutal uh, yeah it's horrendous yeah um and not to really spoil it, but um, he never makes it to Sydney. Yeah, I just had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, he ends up right back in Taboonda. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> um, Tell me about a, another thing you watched. Okay, so the other thing I watched was um, Peter Weir's first big feature. Did you also watch I, The Cars That Ate Paris? I didn't, but I almost did. It's another one where I like I, I wrote it down and I almost put it on, Yeah, but I didn't quite make it because I was very, very sleepy. Yeah. Um, the Cars That Ate Paris is one of those movies when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is fun and strange, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't love it because I thought it, it kind of was beyond me. Yeah, like, totally. Um, I felt a little stupid for it, but the more... I let it soak in the more I would. And then I read a, a really good article about it from the guardian from, um, I think the article was written right as the fourth Mad Max mm-hmm. was coming out. Yeah, totally. So people were talking about Australia movies <laughs> yeah, and cars, cars. <laughs> um, but it was really fun and weird. So yeah. 
The Cars That Ate Paris is a 1974 Australian. Wikipedia calls it a horror comedy, but I wouldn't. <laughs> categorize it as anything but just a movie (laughs) but yeah so it's it's peter australian director peter weir's first big feature um and it takes place in a fictional town called paris that is also a very very small town rural town um that makes all of its money by causing car accidents and scrapping the cars um and it's it's definitely it was really I needed to read this article which I unfortunately cannot recall, <laughs> but um because I was like what did I just watch yeah. like other than just this weird funky piece but um so it starts off following these two brothers who seem like they live kind of like a nomadic lifestyle um, out of their camper van and car and unfortunately come a little too close to Paris and. Um, they get in a car crash, mm-hmm. which is very manufactured, and you see that all happen. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the townsfolk have a car on the like on one of the roads into the town that's like already a dangerous, windy road, and uh, when people drive on it at night, they turn the headlights on on this car at the last minute, so people crash their cars. Um, and unfortunately, one of the other brothers does not make it, but the the main character, uh, <laughs> Arthur, does make it, who's a very mild-mannered, soft-spoken, kind of frightened guy, was before, definitely is now, post-car crash. He's actually played by an actor called Terry Camilleri, who um, I was like, why have I seen this guy before? And he is the guy who plays... Napoleon Bonaparte in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) Oh my God. Yep. Um, So he is taken in by this community, whereas most people who are injured but still survive these car accidents are taken to the local hospital and lobotomized, (laughs) where the zany local doctor performs whatever horrible experiments he wants to on what he calls his veggies. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Uh, and there is the mayor of Paris kind of represents this old guard of the town. He says that no one is ever allowed to leave Paris. And then there is a younger group of, um, there's a group of young men who have like wild modified souped up cars who are kind of like the punks of the town. Yeah. And essentially throughout this bizarre movie, just tensions, boil into a final showdown during the um pioneers ball of paris which again is like there's this funny commentary about um this pride that these these people have in this town of being pioneers of this land and like i think that's very purposeful in this movie you know but this pioneers ball which is such a funny (laughs) it's a really funny movie yeah totally this town is so small so this ball is like 15 people with like the most ridiculous music it's an amazing scene um but yeah tensions come to a head uh because these car boys don't like being told where to park or what to do or that they can't leave (laughs) um and there's a big showdown at the end of the movie where finally our main character, Arthur, who's been kind of at the whim of the mayor who's taken him in, realizes that he's no longer afraid to drive. Yes. And is able to drive out of Paris. Yes. Um, really cool cars in it. Um, there's a the one on the poster is like this big spiky, the spiky silver car. car. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a weird one. So fun. Uh, where did I, I think I watched it on Criterion, the Criterion channel. Um, but yeah, uh, here, I'll read a little snippet of the Guardian article because I am too dumb to make my own opinion. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it says the community is self-sufficient, but divided hints of what at first appears to be a wicker man-esque community bound tight by a shared secret takes on something more like a macabre spin on Footloose. A story of youthful rebellion and adult consternation with dangerous driving instead of dancing and no joy in the challenging of status quo. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and then I think at the end, oh yeah, this was what I loved. This uh, article has a quote from George Miller, the director yes. of Mad Max. Because here I'm like, oh gosh, what's this car theme? Yeah, There's totally. a lot of cars. So George Miller is quoted saying, uh, the Americans have gun culture, we have car culture yeah. in Australia. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense because everything is so far away. You yeah. have to drive everywhere. Yeah. Ugh, I love that. It's also... I. Um, after looking at the poster for the Cars That Ate Paris, I was thinking a lot about the spiky car in Mad Max Fury Road, which looks a lot like that one, and I'm sure was an intentional nod from from Mr. Miller. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Cars That Ate Paris predates Mad, Mad Max. Max. I think so, yeah. Well, I might well, be wrong about that, because Matt... It's an early 70s, no? Yeah, um, Cars That Ate Paris is 74, and Mad Max is 79. Oh, yeah. So I think it does, um, I think that's why The Guardian wrote this article, because it's definitely where I think a lot of that inspiration came from. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. It was fun, though. I would would still recommend it. Yeah. I definitely want to rewatch it. I love Peter Weir. Um, I love Peter Weir so much. I love Peter so Weir much. so much. I, I have yet to see a movie of his that I don't love. It's such... Ex- well, actually, that's not true. The Way Back. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, I'm so sorry. So sorry. No, The Way Back was, the way back was, was not terrible. good. <laughs> was not good at I all. I forgot, in fact, that it was a Peter Weir movie because it's, of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I kind of appreciate that this article, too, doesn't have a lot to say about it other than being like, this movie is really weird. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is a weird one. Um... Yeah, Cars That Ate Paris was really fun. Uh, What else did you watch, Jenny? I'm going to tell you about the movie that I did watch last night, which is a genre shift from the other two that I watched, and presumably what you watched as well. Um, I watched a movie from 1979 called My Brilliant Career. Oh. Which is a... It's also considered Australian New Wave, um, but it's a... Like, romance feels too reductive, but it's a period piece set in... The basically the very late 1800s, early 1900s in Australia during colonization, of course. Um, and it's about a woman uh, played by Judy Davis, who I didn't really recognize, but she's in Barton Fink and Naked Lunch. So okay. you might recognize her. Yeah. Um, she plays a character <laughs> named Sibylla, who uh, basically is a young woman who is very independent and a burden to her family mm-hmm. as they always are mm-hmm. and so she's sent to live with her i believe her maternal grandmother to like she's like sent out into the country to like get some manners basically <laughs> and, like, get her out with her hair um and what follows is a very like quiet character focused movie about her um like basically her relationships with the people that she is interacting with there, primarily with um, Sam Neill, who yes. is a very, very young in this movie and oh. very handsome, oh. um, and who is like another another um, society a society lad <laughs> who she oh, has lads. <laughs> so who she has like a bit of a romance with, um, but it's primarily about her own personal. Um, choice basically to be independent and to not get married and to stick to that uh at risk of everything um and it's actually quite lovely I put it on because it's kind of short and I was very sleepy Mm. um and I just didn't I my the alternative was wake and fright and I was like I'm gonna watch my brilliant career tonight it was was pretty late and I just like didn't have the emotional intensity um it is like very beautifully made. It's also notably directed by a woman oh, in, for 1979. Yeah. Um, it's directed by a woman named Jillian Armstrong. Uh, and it's just like a very thoughtfully made um, like character movie. Has, you know, gorgeous gowns. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful outfits. <laughs> Go- gorgeous, gorgeous gowns. gowns. Gorgeous <laughs> gowns. <laughs> it's really insane because every character keeps telling her how ugly she is and she's beautiful. <laughs> She so just classic. has like cut, she has like textured hair. <laughs> Everyone's like, "What a shame you don't look like your mother." Too bad she got an ugly duckling. <laughs> yeah, um, but I did really like it. There's like this very charming scene where she and Sam Neill are chasing each other, having a pillow fight through like this idyllic um, estate, and Dang. it's just like very romantic and oh, very man. sweet. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. It's not my main criticism of it is that it 
is obviously aware of colonialism and is made in the 70s, but doesn't have any, it doesn't grapple, it doesn't try to grapple with it at all. Like there's a point in the movie where she is sent away to be a governess and teaches um, like um, a bunch of like extremely poor people, but they're all poor white people. And there's kind of like no acknowledgement of the indigenous population whatsoever. Yeah. Which I found really interesting just because I was like, what a, uh, a, I just, I I think it could be a more interesting and stronger movie, obviously, if it had like any, if it did any kind of toe dipping. Yeah. Um, Especially because I have not seen the piano, but I've heard that this is like kind of an influence on it. And I know the piano is, it's a New Zealand movie, which is why I didn't watch it, even though I thought about it. Um, ha- does grapple with colonialism in a big way, and so I was like, I was very interested to see that this one didn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did. I did really enjoy it. I think it's really worth watching if you are interested in that type of movie. Yeah. It's streaming on HBO, which is the other reason why I watched it because it was so easy. So to just easy. Put on. Um, that is an interesting thing because yeah, both Wake and Fright and Cars That Ate Paris. I mean, I don't think that either of those movies really exist to make much of a commentary totally. on um, colonization of Australia, but, and like, they're all just chock-a-block full of white people. Totally. There's absolutely, yeah. like, no other skin colors yeah. in this, and it's just white people, but they, they're not saying nothing, but it, it, it's definitely not trying to grapple with that specifically, but it does seem to be just focusing on, like, look at these effed up white people. (laughs) It's like not saying anything beyond that or like going any deeper, but it is being like, it's part of the texture. Yikes. (laughs) I thought, I think my, the main reason I was thinking about it was both because it's like, it's actively during, it's because it takes place during the 1800s. I was like, surely you're going to mention this, but they did it. And then the other movie that I really wish I had watched. And if I could turn back time and watch, um, was a movie from 1978, so a year earlier, called The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. I really wanted to watch that, too. And I didn't end up doing it because it was a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, but if you're not familiar, which I wasn't until I did a little bit of research, it's a movie about an Aboriginal man who grows up being basic, basically like subject to intense racism because he lives in Australia, yeah. <laughs> after, like post-colonization. Um, and goes on a revenge murder spree. Yeah. And kills a bunch of white people. And it just sounds so fascinating. Yeah. I hear it's um, amazing. I hear it's, it's really supposed great. supposed to be one of the best, like, or on the lists of fantastic yeah. Australian yeah. newsway. Totally. Way. Um, and so I was, I just had that in my head of like, oh, like, what an interesting, like, that came out in 1978. And this yeah. one came out in 1979. So, like, it's something that was, I mean, obviously you're grappling with it as a society. Yeah. Forever, as yeah. soon as colonization happens. But I just was like, oh. It seems it seems like a missed opportunity for a movie to just kind of ignore it completely, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that being said, that's like that's just not part of the rubric of my brilliant career. It's like a very soft, very soft. <laughs> they ain't tackling There's, much. We're not, our politics are are it's strictly white feminism. <laughs> that's all we're doing here. <laughs> I know it's it is. I mean, un, like interesting, I guess, but unsurprising that most of these movies being they're all post 71 yeah so 70s and 80s movies that don't like address um colonialism and racism in australia at all but and this is maybe like a a read from a very much an outsider which i am being so far from australian (laughs) but like i think there it seems to me like there's a current that runs through these a lot of these movies that appeals to me because there's like this bizarre like sense of guilt like where they're not addressing something but there is like a discomfort like oh we shouldn't be here right but because we're here we're really messed up yeah totally like Like that that tension is like absolutely built into it because it's a colonized place yeah and it's like it is a very fascinating piece of Australian cinema in general where it is like we've talked about this before where it's like Australia makes a lot of messed up movies yeah it's like yeah because they have this like really intense national guilt yeah and or like intense national trauma yeah like being indigenous so it's just like it's a really fascinating 
um, combination to like that just basically like seeps into every movie even if it's not purposefully being thought about exactly and of course like back to talking about the land like this land that you do not belong in (laughs) and that you are attempting to uh control and uh rule or whatever yeah but it is completely yeah but you cannot tame it no again like picnic at hanging rock totally you're not supposed to be there and Mm -mm. you're gonna disappear (laughs) get out of those rocks don't go into the rocks don't go into the rocks (laughs) um yes yeah it's so good yeah um fun fun i watched one more movie tell me i watched yet another Yes. Car movie. Yes, of course. I watched. You, you did the car. I did the car. Australia. <laughs> <movie>. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Dead End Driving Ooh. from 1986, which popped up on in another Guardian article about best Ozploitation movies. Um, and this one was definitely, uh, I mean, the most 80s for yeah. sure, uh, being the only one that I watched from the 80s, but. But it's definitely post Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this one came out after Beyond Thunderdome, even. Um, so it's a it takes place in a post apocalyptic 1995 where uh, crime is at an all time high, people don't have any work, and um, cars are really rare. Uh, so much so that when an accident happens, basically like vultures, like humans come to pick apart the car, like while people are still in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Love that. Yeah. And um, it's, it's the main character is a guy who his name is, he goes by crabs. <laughs> um, and uh, he is trying to impress his girlfriend. So he, Borrows his brother's really gorgeous 56 Chevy and goes to the drive-in. But while they're hooking up at the movies, uh, somebody steals two of the tires on his car. And they can't leave. And soon realize that the drive-in... They realize something is special about this place when they go... To the front office to be like, hey, someone stole my tires. And the guy is like, well, I can't do anything about it right now. Come back in the morning. And he comes back in the morning and he's like, all right, well, um, you guys are going to get paid $30 a week. And here's all your meal tickets. Um, so the drive, it essentially is a prison movie. Yeah. I was, um, say, I was like, oh, got it. <laughs> yeah. So the drive-in is a self, not self-sustaining because they're getting paid by the government. But um, it's a little community mm-hmm. of people who mostly youth who uh have gotten stuck at the drive-in and um yeah and uh, i mean it's it's very very 80s and it's music and the style mm-hmm. is like super over the top like again very clearly post mad max yeah, like totally. wild wild styles which are really really fun um and so while his i forget his girlfriend's name in it um Carmen. So Crabs and Carmen are stuck there. <laughs> the more time they spend there, the more that Carmen kind of gets into it. Like she meets some girls in the showers who are like, you know, are smoking cigs and mm-hmm. they're like, let me do your hair. And she gets into it. But Crabs never quite lets go of the fact that he is stuck here in this government sanctioned prison for youth. Yes, essentially. Fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but. And he's, you know, as Carmen kind of gets more comfortable, he's like, you know, he's trying to avoid being brainwashed because everyone has gotten quite comfortable with this community. Yeah, totally. All of a sudden, it takes a real hard turn into trying to have a racism dialogue. (laughs) Um, And it doesn't, it just is really surprising. It doesn't necessarily do the worst job. It's just kind of funny. Like... Um, so all of a sudden, like one day, a bunch of trucks come with, uh, car parts and then a whole truck full of, um, Southeast Asian immigrants Mm -hmm. and all the white Australian youths that are there are like, we don't want Asians here. (laughs) Um, and crabs is like, what are you guys talking about? You're being really bad. Like what? Like, I'm like, Oh, crabs. I thought, I thought you were annoying, but (laughs) okay. Um, so he, you know, he, his girlfriend turns out to be really racist. Mm -hmm. Like 
And I think it's trying to make that point because the next scene is they have a conversation and she's like, I don't like being around them. And he's like, what are you talking about? So clearly it's about people being brainwashed right, into totally. this yeah. society um, and this hierarchy within this prison drive-in. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it um, basically while this whole like race thing is happening crabs is still just trying to steal gas and car parts slowly so he can get out of the drive-in uh and there's like a fun prison break finale nice. essentially um free crabs exactly <laughs> uh the director whose name is brian trenchard smith said that um he was inspired to do the part about the um, racism against the Asian immigrants because there was an event in Australia in the 70s and 80s where um, people were, Vietnamese people were fleeing Saigon Mm -hmm. and Australia took in a lot of refugees and people were obviously really bad about it. Um, So he was like, I was inspired to make a commentary about that. And I'm like, okay. Got it very (laughs) one-to-one. Yeah, like it's so, that's why it was so surprising because it was like just a quick cut to this. And it's like, whoa. Um, But yeah, I mean, just added another layer to the like, it's a prism. Yeah, totally. Yeah, wow. Um, But Dead End Drive-In. Dead End Drive-In, Wow. Pretty fun. Yeah, it sounds fun. Yeah. When is it, what, sorry, when is it from? 86. 86, nice. And yeah, the only like article, I didn't do a deep, deep dive, but the only article I could find was from, it got re-released on Blu-ray, mm. and so there was an article about it on Bloody Disgusting. Um, But yeah, it's uh, it, it's silly. Sounds it's fun. fun. Yeah. It's got good colors. Getting trapped at the drive-in is like, it's. I understand why in this scenario it's nightmare, but in general, I'm like, fun. Yeah, me. Count me at the drive-in. <laughs> exactly. The movies that are playing at the drive-in are fun. Yes, of course. Um, the car is fun. The car, it's all fun. There's fun fight scenes. Yes. Oh my God, wow. Fun car stuff. <sighs> Dead end drive-in. Dead end drive-in. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah, you really did the car trilogy. That's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was Delightful. It was really funny when it, it took that. Uh, tonal turn like oh yeah because it like <laughs> this is what we're doing it like heats up into like all the all this like the crew that's trying to get crabs like into staying there like are you gonna come to the white australians meeting oh my god he's like no <laughs> i'm not going to do that i'm not gonna do that i, oh I want to leave crabs. <laughs> like, he's like focus yeah he's focused yeah this is how they distract us wow this yeah. is how they distract yeah us. no he's like you're all you're all being brainwashed yeah, totally you're being brainwashed Sadly, not a subtle message, but a poignant one. Yeah, exactly. Crabs, who says he got his nickname because he thought he had crabs once, is his yeah, is his nickname backstory. Incredible. And he's like, but I didn't. But like, I didn't. Turns so... out I didn't. Like, Incredible. Oh my god. Yep. The last movie I have to tell you about was also from the 80s. We, it's almost like we planned this. It's so crazy. We're just the synergy. It's mm. incredible. Mm. I watched a movie which you've been telling me to watch for years, and I loved it. What was that? I watched Deadcom. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. I finally, I have finally seen Deadcom. A movie which I simply loved. It's so good. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> I watched it with friend of the show, Anne Boylan, who Yay! you may remember from uh, the episode that we did on Towers, like, yep. like last year or something. Yep. Um, and she did not love it. Oh, but, no. But we did both have a really good time. Uh, and she, I think the next day, like maybe came around a little bit and was like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, let it sink in a <laughs> little bit. Let it sink in a little bit. Uh, but so Deadcom, if you don't know, it's from 1989. Directed by Philip Noyce. Noyce. Uh, Noyce. <laughs> Sorry, such a lame joke, but I couldn't help I it. I mean, I almost did the exact same thing. It's really, couldn't help it. Uh, it stars Nicole Kidman in her, so it's not her first movie role, but it is her, oh. it's actually her last Australian movie before she hopped over to Hollywood. And oh, started wow. doing American movies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it also stars uh, Sam Neill. I did a, I did a Sam Neill theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the two of them are a couple who uh, have recently experienced the tragedy of losing their child in a car accident that Nicole Kidman caused. 
um, accidentally, of course, uh, and they decide to live their life on a big sailboat to deal with this trauma together. So we are we are hanging out with them as they are um, basically like living with this intense grief on this giant sailboat. It's that's a really beautiful. Nice it's boat. a really nice boat. Uh, and Nicole Kidman is like having nightmares and you know they're just they're really going through it and one day uh, oh also uh, important to note Sam Neill is a Navy man who has 25 years of experience on ships ah. which is very important for the plot of the movie yeah. uh, and they are just sailing away on a beautiful day which Sam Neill notes in the captain's log as dead calm <laughs> title drop <laughs> title drop and what do they see but another big sailboat mm. just on the horizon hanging out. Uh-oh. And what's that? Why, it's a little dinghy being rowed their way. And who's that rowing? It's Billy Zane. <laughs> Fresh off the Titanic. Fresh off the Titanic. Before the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so Billy Zane uh, rows on over and hops aboard. And he is very distraught. Uh, and Sam Neill and Nicole Kidman are both like, what is your deal? Because he's acting very weird immediately. Um, he is like really dehydrated. He's like, everybody who is on my boat is dead. They all ate some canned fish that was canned badly and they've all perished. And I've just been living with it that way for 10 days. And they're like, okay. And they give him some water and tend his wounds. And like, he falls asleep in their cabin. Sam Neill locks the door. And tells Nicole Kidman to grab a gun and load it while he goes and checks out the other boat because he just simply doesn't trust him, which is really the right move. Yeah. Uh, but Nicole Kidman is not that scared of him. She's just like, he just went through something really intense, which and he's I... kind of sexy. And he's kind of sexy. And I just went through something really intense. So, like, I get it. He's just acting weird. Um, but so Sam Neill rows over to the other boat and thus begins oh. <laughs> a stressful back and forth where Sam Neill is trying to prevent the boat that Billy Zane came from from sinking, which it's just like a death trap and it wants to fall apart. And Nicole Kidman on their boat is fighting with Billy Zane for control of the sailboat because he wakes up and goes mad and (laughs) breaks out of the cabin and starts acting like an absolute lunatic. (laughs) And it's like this really like intense like power play between the two of them because she has to like pretend to get along with him for a little while um and in order to like survive uh and it's like a very fun thriller uh and i just i really liked it it has like it does like such um simple setup and payoff stuff that it's like it's not complicated again another cut and dry goodie cut and dry there's like a couple things that i'm like i would change that if i made that today but (laughs) you know can't win them all. The ending scene is incredible. I was not expecting it. And I don't it made even me so remember glad. it. I'm so glad that I oh have such a bad memory. God, you get to watch it again. I get to There's watch movies for the first time more than once. The way that Billy Zane is dispatched is incredible. <laughs> and I just, I won't say anymore. <sighs> um, but it's really fun. It's also like, I mean, it's not... There are things about it that are quite cheesy. Like, it's an 80s movie for sure. Yeah. But there are also things about it that are like pretty sophisticated like I I just noticed there's it begins and ends very simply with um like at the very beginning Nicole Kidman has a very bright light like shown into her face by a surgeon after she is like waking up from the car accident Mm -hmm. and at the very end um she is shining a light directly into Sam Neill's face when she like finds him after his ship has gone down Mm -hmm. and it's like it's just like this very beautiful it has like quite a tender romance between Mm -hmm. the two of them Mm -hmm. which I really loved uh yeah it has like all like these thoughtful little like bits of flair to it where I'm like oh what a like nice taut movie yeah like very very uh thoughtfully made Except uh, for the parts that are really cheesy, um, but very fun. Yeah, I really love Dead it's, Calm. It's a blast. <laughs> it's such a good time. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> I love hearing Nicole Kidman's accent, her I natural know. accent. She's so cute it's too. So she's like twenty in that movie. She's, she's a little so baby. Little. Yeah, she's, and she like it's it's sweet. Her face has like some real like round yeah. um meaty like youth to yeah, it yeah totally she's just like a little she's just a little guy yeah 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 it's she's really cute a little baby face yeah still. totally it's really sweet i really love deadcom um but yeah that is you can rent it for like two bucks on youtube it's also like a tight hour 30 which nice. is like simply the best 
Amazing. Uh, yeah, and that's the last movie I watched. That one has like less of the land being a problem, but the ocean yeah. is, is holding them back. And still just, <laughs> you know, uh, an exploitation movie made in Australia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ausploitation, baby. Ausploitation. Um, oh, yeah, Dead, Dead End Drive-In is uh, streaming for free on Plex. Oh, nice. Oh, tight. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, yeah, wow. There's just so many more Australian new wave and exploitation movies to see. There's so many. There's so many to see. So much to say about them. There's... <laughs> <laughs> there's so much 